after moving away about 20 years ago, I am back in Simi for about three months, and I remember something that I had uh, forgotten about, uh, something that reminds me of hope and potential. Uh, it's a signal and a sign that the future is full of potential. It's this sound. All right? We all know that. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that we can hear that several times a day, you know, from all over Simi Valley, right? Often at not the best times of day, but um, standing at the train stop is an interesting experience. We don't have a station to go into. We don't really know when we're standing there. Is the train coming? Is it going to be late? Is it going to be on time? Uh, we don't have anybody to ask, so everybody's standing there, you know, we're just kind of looking at our watches and looking up and down and tapping our feet, until we hear that sound. And then we relax. Because not only do we know it's coming, we know it's almost here. And I think that train for me represents hope and potential. Um, now, we can get on, and we get on because we're going somewhere specific. But I want you to imagine that the reality of that train is it, we can go almost anywhere. If we get on here and we get to Union Station, we can go from there to almost anywhere in the country. Uh, there, the, the potential is unlimited. That train whistle is the signal that we have the potential to go almost anywhere and to become almost anything. We are not limited to where we are and we are not limited to remain who we are as well. The resurrection of Jesus is like that train whistle. It's a signal to all of humanity throughout all of history that we are not limited to where we are and to who we are right now. The resurrection, Jesus rising from the dead is the beginning of hope and the promise of potential. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Not all of us know the Easter story. So in a nutshell, the shortest version is that after three years of teaching and healing and demonstrating his relationship with Jesus, uh, with God, Jesus got in trouble with the religious leaders. Um, they were intimidated. They felt threatened by him. So one of his followers betrayed him. Those leaders arrested him. And Jesus was killed by crucifixion on a cross. That's why all churches have crosses uh, on Friday night. And that's what we call Good Friday now. Uh, and everyone, including his followers, thought that that was the end. That was it. This, whatever this movement had started was over at that point. Now, for cultural and religious re reasons, uh, his body was taken down and he was put into a cave uh, without any of the normal pr procedures or burial rituals, anything like that. And a, more than a thousand pound stone was rolled in front of that tomb. And interesting, uh, the Romans put soldiers around the tomb so that no one could steal the body. Uh, and if that was the last thing that happened, we wouldn't be here. Easter wouldn't happen. Uh, Jesus dead and buried would be the end of the story. And you want to know something? There is no hope. There is no potential in that tomb all by itself. 
friends who loved him would have brought flowers and they would have cried and then they would have moved on with their lives just like we do when loved ones pass on. And uh, someone might have made a marker that mentioned him, but it'd be long gone by now and no one would be looking for it uh, regardless. So um, what changed? What happened that changed the world and the course of history and has put us here today singing these songs about a resurrected Jesus, praising God and living with both hope and potential. So remember we said that his body had not been prepared correctly. So at dawn on Sunday, a couple ladies went to the tomb to anoint his body with all the right burial things. And as they were heading into the cemetery, their one question was, who's going to roll away that stone for us? But when they got there, several things interesting. The Roman soldiers were asleep, which would never happen. And the stone was already rolled away, which the Roman soldiers would not let happen. And the tomb was empty. And Jesus' body was not there. The next few things that happened were intentional. That's the important thing for us to remember. In fact, everything that happened after the resurrection happened because God intended for it to. Scripture says this, um, God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. So God planned this whole thing. And knowing that uh, God was intentional makes that empty tomb a signal of potential for us. And when we look at a story like this, it's very helpful to ask questions of the story that get us to dig a little bit deeper into the text. So we can ask these three questions. Um, As uh, God is doing something incredible and miraculous, who is included in this plan of God's? And what do they have to do? And what difference does it make in our lives today? So who's included, what do they have to do, and what difference does it make? And the life-changing answers found in some very, not minor, but very, they are details of the story that we could easily look over, uh, overlook. So we discover who is included in God's plan uh, by the detail of the first person Jesus met. Now this was all planned out. Jesus could have met anyone. He could have met Matthew or John. These were followers of his. They had ended up writing an awful lot about Jesus in their own books. So he could have met with them. Um, But the incredible thing uh, is that he didn't meet with any of those famous persons. Um, He met with someone else. And the detail reveals something incredible about the church that Jesus started that day. And the potential for all of us all of us in this room, uh, and everyone we care about in the world. And the incredible thing is just this. All are welcome. All are welcome. And the reason I say that is because who you meet at something is very important. The first person we meet tells us how welcome we are. So, for instance, I have been to fundraisers and different kind of events, and, and uh, I, have, I have gone to the front door, and the door is opened by someone with a clipboard. 
and they look down and find my name and they check it off and then they put a name tag on and then they say there are uh, drinks and, and uh, snacks in the living room and whoever the important person is will be coming to talk to all of you in a little bit. So, well, I was expected, but was I welcomed? Was I welcomed like it mattered if I was there? Not really. And certainly I wasn't embraced, you know, um, uh, just with open arms. But on another occasion, I was going to another home, and I pulled up near the garage, and I was going to walk around to the front door. But before I could, the guest of honor walked out of the garage. He says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. He grabbed me, took me around the side, out to the backyard, found some of his best friends. He said, you got to meet Neil. I'm so glad he's here. Whew. Wow, did that feel different? Who you meet first and how they treat us makes a big difference. So who did Jesus meet? God could have arranged for him to meet anyone after his resurrection, so let's listen to who Jesus met first. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who, he, who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. Wow. So he could have orchestrated himself meeting to anyone, and yet he chose to reveal, uh, God chose to reveal Jesus to a person with little or no standing in society. In that day, women were not leaders, um, and Mary Magdalene was not just any woman. She was a woman who Jesus had cast out seven demons from. Wow, I don't know what you have to do, what, what, what challenges you go through life that you end up with seven demons, but it had to be rough. She had to have a rough life. Um, and Jesus chose to meet her, Mary Magdalene, the first person. And in a minute, we'll see that she's the first person to give a testimony and the first person to tell anyone else about the resurrection. So the foundation of the church and the first communication of the new plan comes from an unlikely person, unqualified by any world standards, with a past that would exclude her from polite company. And by choosing Mary Magdalene, Jesus communicated, all are welcome. And that shouldn't surprise us, because Jesus sought these kinds of folks out. He was attracted to them. He sought out uh, tax collectors and foreigners, the down and outers, the unwelcome. And Jesus began his church by presenting himself to one of them who we would consider the least likely person. Think of the potential when we know that no one is excluded from God's plan. Wow. So Christians are at their best. We are at our best as Christians when we are welcoming and accepting. There's a, a Christian doctor from the last century, Paul Tournier from Switzerland, and he was an amazing doctor. He helped begin... Um, person-centered psychotherapy, and doctors from around the world would go to Switzerland to study uh, the things that Paul Tournier did. And, and he wrote at some point, uh, he wrote this, it's a little embarrassing for students to come all over and study my techniques. They always go away disappointed because all I do is accept people. Wow. How are we at accepting people? If God arranged the resurrection, to, uh, uh, resurrection of Jesus to demonstrate that all, all are welcome, how are we at welcoming? He expressed, Dr. Tournier, a, a thought that I think we should take seriously. He said this, 
Our task is to live our personal communion with Christ with such intensity as to make it contagious. Wow. Is our relationship with Christ, our relationship with Jesus, contagious? That other people say, I'd like to have what you've got. Acceptance and welcome come straight from Jesus. And throughout his ministry and here with Mary Magdalene, he demonstrates that all are welcome. And it's such good news uh, that throughout our lives, uh, I'm guessing there have been times when, when we didn't feel welcome. I've certainly been that. Maybe it's in church. Maybe it's in a group. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's on a team. Somewhere we haven't felt welcome. And as far as God's concerned, we're in. We are all welcome. And that's good news, but here's a question for you. Well, okay. I mean, I can hear somebody asking this. Well, okay, all are welcome. But are there any strings attached? I mean, what does welcome really mean? Um, do any of us have to sit in the back until we get our act together? You know, until we kind of straighten up and fly right? Well, let's see what happens next on Easter morning, because who Mary Magdalene meets who she tells about Jesus. Now that's going to tell us something. Because if who she finds is a you know, highly respectable person, maybe one of the you know, important disciples, well, then we should probably know. Yeah, we're in. But there's a litmus test. There's something we're going to have to do. There's a ladder of success we're going to have to climb before we get to the top. Because, you know, she went right to the top and talked to the important people. So, Uh, basically, we're asking our second question at this point. Remember I said, what do they have to do? What do they have to do? The great news is, all we have to do is come as we are. Come as we are. Jesus accepts us. Before I tell you who Mary Magdalene told, let me ask you, who would you tell? If you had this amazing message, oh my gosh, it's the greatest news ever. Who, who would you tell? Well, if it was me, I'd find somebody important. I'd find somebody respected, somebody who the disciples respected, because they're the ones who are going to have to believe you, somebody who uh, can be counted on to be accountable and to be trustworthy and to be able to communicate this message. So let's look at who the first person was that Jesus arranged for Mary Magdalene to speak to. Uh, it says, she ran and found Simon Peter. Simon Peter! And the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter! Peter of all people. Now I know that some of you know, well, Peter's a disciple, right? Yeah, he was one of the 12, but he's not just one of the 12. He's one of the three. I mean, there were 12, and then, then there were three that were really tight with Jesus. And we always say it, Peter, James, and John. And, and he goes on to, to lead the church. So Peter, he, that makes sense. That's an important guy. Yeah, but does anybody remember what the last thing was that Peter did before Mary Magdalene told him about Jesus? Now, she told him about him on Sunday morning, but back on Thursday night, he denied that he even knew Jesus. He was broken by Sunday morning. Nobody wanted to talk to him. He wasn't talking to anyone. The last thing uh, Peter did before Magdalene, Mary Magdalene met him and told him about Jesus rising from the dead was to deny Jesus 
on Jesus' darkest night, his darkest moment. So Peter had called Jesus friend and rabbi, which means teacher and Lord. And at dinner on Thursday night in public, Peter had said, even if everyone else leaves you, I will never leave you. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And then he did. Three times. Jesus was taken by guards to the chief priest's house and he was being tried by them. And while he stood in that room over there, Peter stood out here and within a couple of hours, he denied that, uh, that he was a follower of Jesus. He denied that, um, that he even knew Jesus three times. Peter was the last person we would tell. Why in the world would we tell Peter? Of all people, he, people, Peter could not be trusted to share this important news. And the disciples weren't listening to Peter anyway. No one would have expected Jesus to pay attention to Peter. And yet, and yet, Peter was the first disciple to get the message from Mary Magdalene, the news of Jesus' res resurrection. Jesus wants to make it clear, Peter's not left out. Jesus doesn't judge him. Jesus doesn't vote him off the island, you know, for doing something wrong. Peter was not left out, not dismissed. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't ashamed of him. Thank God, because that means for all of us, we can come as we are. With, with whatever issues that we, we bring, people in this church and every church come with issues. We're all cut from the same human cloth. If you think that you're the one who's come with all the problems you don't want anybody to know about, well, A, we don't want to know about them, but second, we've all got them too. We've all got them too. Whatever issues and troubles and doubts we come with, we can know that others have walked in our shoes. We can come as we are, but we don't have to stay as we are. It's a horrible dead end to be told, you're fine, you're fine just the way you are. Don't change. I want to change. I don't want to stay who I am. I don't want to stay the way I am. Who wants to stay just as we are? The invitation is to come as you are. But you don't have to stay the way you are. We get to, the potential is to become who God has destined us to be. In multiple ways, multiple times, in multiple scriptures, Jesus is so intentional to seek out and to restore Peter after the resurrection. Peter wasn't happy to have gotten away with it, to have gotten away with denying Jesus. Maybe no one knew. Peter knew. Jesus knew. His shame and grief drove him away from friends. He doubted his own worth. He saw himself, his self-perception of him in the mirror was, I'm a faithful, loyal friend. That reality came crashing down when he betrayed and denied his best friend. Jesus made an effort to tell Peter he could come as he was, but he didn't have to stay as he was. Jesus is in the business of restoring people's souls, healing people's hearts, bringing people back together, back together with God and back together with one another. We come as we are, but we don't have to stay as we are. Jesus welcomes the less than perfect and he doesn't leave us the way he finds us. None of our stories are finished. Which begins to ask, answer 
our third question, which was what difference does it make in our lives? And the answer is anything can happen. Anything can happen. After his resurrection, listen to what happens. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to uh, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this: I will be, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus wasn't only redeeming the broken and the brokenhearted; he was recruiting partners for his program, for his plan, for his ministry and his movement. Jesus wants to redeem and grow and transform people um, into what, remember, Paul Tournier called contagious Christians, whose faith is so contagious everybody else wants to have it, so attractive in their love and kindness for one another and for others that others want to join them. Okay, granted, the church has not been that good at that. Uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't always been welcoming and we haven't always been accepting and we haven't always expressed love the way, and kindness the way we should. But there are amazing examples throughout history of God doing exactly that through his people. God working in powerful and miraculous ways in our lives and in our world so anything can happen. And that means we can change. Peter changed. Our situations change. Even when things look bad, anything can happen. And I need to know that. I don't know if you need to know it, but I need to know that. Things can change. And I'm grateful for that because there have been times when I needed to change. I didn't want to stay the person as I was. In fact, there was a point in my life where I absolutely didn't want to stay who I was. I was just 24 years old. I was assistant manager at a restaurant in Van Nuys. Okay, it was a Burger King, but still. <laughs> I was an assistant manager, and you know I had employees reporting to me, and I had you know bosses counting uh, ex counting on me. I had customers around, and uh, late one night, besides all of that going on, I had two guys sitting in a car out in the dark in the far end of the parking lot, and over the last uh, month or two, three Burger Kings had been robbed by two guys who were sitting out in the dark at the edge of the parking lot just a few and they they waited until a few minutes before the restaurant closed before they came in it was 15 minutes to closing so i grabbed the biggest employee i had and i said get a mop and a bucket and i want you to go up to the front and i locked the front doors and i said you mop this floor for 15 minutes don't leave. And you open the door for anyone that comes in except the two guys in that car. And I, I'll tell you, I was, yeah, I was nervous. I, I, I counted down the minutes. Uh, and I was nervous especially because two months earlier we had been robbed. One guy jumped over the counter and started taking the money out of the cash registers. Another forced his way in through the kitchen door and put a gun to my head and said, open the safe. And when we op I got the safe open, he took all the money and he put all of us in the walk-in freezer. We pushed the silent alarm as soon as we got in. And we stood there shivering until an off-duty employee showed up. And he said, come out. I, we said, no. <laughs> We're staying in here until the police show up. And the police showed up. 
So I can tell you I was nervous um, as we counted down the minutes. Um, so uh, two minutes before closing, uh, a, a fellow walked up to the door. He wasn't uh, one of the two guys. He was in a suit. He was my district manager. Whew, I felt so relieved. Our, my employee opened the door for him. He came in. He started to walk around. I started to show him things. He said, why'd you close early? I didn't understand what he was talking about. We still had customers. I said, I didn't close early. Uh, the, do you see those two guys out in the car? You remember the, the place, the, the Burger Kings that have been uh, robbed by two guys out in the parking lot? Um, so I reminded him of those, and as I said it then and as I say it now, I wouldn't have done anything differently. The next day, my boss called me. I was fired for closing early. And he didn't even let me come back to my Burger King. He said, meet me at another one and give me your keys. So I never got to see any of my employees again. Okay, pause there. Don't, don't be mad at Burger King. Okay, because <laughs> seriously, I was probably not the best assistant manager they ever had. You know, the, um, the charm and appeal of fast food management sort of wears off after having a gun put to your head. So uh, I was actually relieved not to be going back. But still, I was devastated. I was engaged to be married. And um, I had no job. I had no references. The only job I've had out of college now, uh, I was fired from. So uh, that doesn't look good on a resume. Uh, uh, rent was due. Heck, the loan on my wife's ring was due. And um, I prayed. Carolyn and I prayed. I didn't know where I would, would be welcome. I certainly couldn't come as I was anywhere. I needed something. I need anything to happen. I needed a sign. I needed a signal, like this one. Right? I want, when you hear that, from now on, to recognize it as a sign of hope, a sign of potential, because... We can go anywhere and be anything. The empty tomb is our sign, our whistle, our signal that the potential from the empty tomb radiates out to anywhere. Just think of the stories of transformation and restoration and healing and hope that have occurred over centuries because Jesus rose from the dead and he sent his first followers into the world. Peter, the one who denied him, was forgiven and became uh, the first person in charge of the church. Mary Magdalene is never remembered as a woman with seven demons, but as a friend of Jesus, the one he met first after his resurrection. Everything that happened at the resurrection happened as God intended. And I believe each one of us is here because God intended. Now, I know some of us are here because the whole family came and we all had to come together. Uh, you know, and... Uh, and others of us, um, uh, we, we came for tradition's sake. And others of us loved Jesus. We wouldn't be anywhere else. But for whatever reason we came, I think God had a reason for us to come as well. We may need to, we may need to know that we are welcome. We may need to know that we can come as we are, but we don't have to stay as we are. It would be a reasonable thing to ask God, Lord, what do you have in store for me? What's my potential in Jesus. What potential led me here today? Oh, and about Burger King. <laughs> there was potential in that too. So I had an old employer 
from my college days called me. He had gotten a new job and was vice president of sales, and he needed a sales rep. Not only had I worked for him, Carolyn had worked for him. He felt responsible for us dating. In fact, his wife had sewed a pillow that I could put between the bucket seats of my Mustang so she could scoot over and sit next to me while we drove. He knew me. He didn't care what Burger King thought of me. And that, the rest of that, after that, that's a whole other story. I didn't know it at the time, but I was hearing that train whistle of potential, potential for my life. And not just a train whistle, an empty tomb, a resurrection, mine, my resurrection. God's story, my story, your story, it didn't end at the cross, it began there. And it's continuing today. Our stories began at the cross, and out of Jesus' empty tomb, our stories radiate potential for transformation, for life full now and for eternity. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, if it touches your heart, feel free to pray along silently. So let's pray.